0: Okay, we're in uh, Psalm 7, uh, Psalm. I was in the Psalms this morning, I guess, I just Freudian, whatever it was. John 17, we're in, uh, I think, part 4 of this. We're going to finish this up today. Does anybody have Lesson 35? Uh, does everybody have Lesson 35? I guess we do. We are in verse, we are in the section... Where Jesus, remember we said this section, Jesus prays for himself in 1 through 5. He prays for his current living disciples in 6 through 18. And then we've been for several weeks now and, uh, I don't, I don't want to get off of this chapter, but I'm eventually going to have to. And we're looking at the section number 3. Jesus is praying for us, uh, believers who will come to him through the means which he's ordained, which is his word and through the building blocks of the disciples and those who have gone before us. And we uh, I think we're basically uh, going to be looking at verse 24 today, but I want to read 20 through uh 26. I'm going to finish this, and then I do want to get into uh, lesson 36 today. Uh, John 20, verse 20, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I'm in you, That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect and one and the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given, whom you've given me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world o righteous father the world has not known you but i've known you and these have known that you sent me and i have declared to them your name and i will declare it that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and i in them unimaginable words for our for our benefit for his glory we looked at this last couple of weeks and uh as Jesus transitions from praying for His current disciples as followers to those of us who will believe in Him. We talked about this last week, this phrase, they will believe in me. We talked about the doctrines of grace. We talked about irresistible calling. We talked about efficacious calling. We talked about unconditional election. We talked about that Jesus is praying for a people who will come, not might, not could, not should, Uh uh it's offered to them, but they can refuse it or accept it. We talked about irresistible calling. We talked about the difference between general calling and irresistible calling, that the general calling is outward and can be resisted, and it's to all men, And but the inward call is irresistible, and it will be recognized and heard by sheep. And we talked about that in great detail And we spent a lot of time on that and had good discussion about that. We spent a lot of time about being one with Christ and what it means to be one with Christ. And we're going to talk a little about unity here again in a second. But we talked about to be one with Christ meant to be like-minded with Christ, like-passioned like Christ, the same objectives as Christ, the same purposes of Christ, have fellowship with Christ. We talked about the... Uh, All of these things, Jesus prayed that we would be one in Him as He is in the Father. So Jesus, as He came to this earth as a man, He humbled Himself. And He voluntarily laid aside His attributes. And He humbled Himself. He said, everything I say is not of me, but it's of Him. So we, as His believers, we're going to be one with Christ as He is with the Father. We are to say and believe and think. That everything I speak, I speak what Christ has told me. And the words He's told me, that's what I listen to, that's who I obey, and that's who I, that's how I act, like He acted. So we talked about that in great detail. The thing I think that particularly was important to me, and I think got the most attention, was this amazing phrase in verse 22. We talked about this, we spent most of our time with this. The glory which you gave me, I have given them. And we talked about this, that we have the privilege to partake in the glory of Christ. And we talked about that. We have the privilege to partake as the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us. We have the privilege to be lights and to be salt, and to by our actions and by our words and by our attitudes, the way we influence people, we have this glorious privilege to elicit adoration and praise and worship to our Father by the way we live our lives. And we talked about that, and we camped out in 2 Corinthians. And we said, we have the privilege, the glory that He was given by the Father. We, we have that glory and that privilege. And we talked about it. We have the privilege to what? What was 1st, 2nd Corinthians 1 about? Other than Gene, who's one of his favorite verses, as we have been given the glory that the Father gave the Son, as we are partakers and we are participants, we have one specific privilege in second corinthians chapter 1 and what is that privilege that privilege is with the same comfort that we have been comforted ourselves we have this privilege of glory to comfort other people so as we've been comforted in our affliction and in our troubles and our struggles we can point susan little to jesus christ and say there you go right So that is what it means when Jesus says, the glory I've been given, I give them. And so we are participate in comforting others. We talked about it in chapter 4. We have this immense privilege of being a diffuser of aroma. Remember that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have the privilege as we glorify Jesus To diffuse this fragrance of aroma. Life leading to life or death leading to death. And we talked about that. We have the privilege to point people to Christ, to diffuse the beauty of Christ, to that word. And we talked about prayers and effectiveness of prayers. And, and that will either build people up in the faith or that may even harden people against Him. But that is the, that is the, A fragrance of death. We tell people the truth about God. We tell them truth about themselves and we teach it and preach it and that will either affect them, turn them to the Lord or it'll harden them against Him. Right? It will also have, it will always have some kind of effect. We talked about we are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are Light reflectors, We our our lives reflect the glory of Christ. We talked about that. And so we spent most of our time talking about the phrase, the glory you gave me, I've given them. This glorious privilege we have in our lives to elicit adoration and awe and worship from fellow believers, fellow citizens within the body, even to the world itself. And we know that that privilege affects hate in people. It elicits wonder in people. And we're going to talk about this ultimately. The love with which we love each other in the body is the, the central theme that people know where he is, how we love. And that's all the final reflection that we have to reflect the glory of Christ and the privilege we have. So that's sort of what we talked about last week. I want to look at uh, point B here. i got A and B for their unity. Uh, just something that you know. I know everybody in here knows this, but I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. I've said this many times. This is part of of who we are in Christ and who we are as a body and the roles we have and the accountability we have 1 Corinthians 12:12 12, 12, for as the body is one that's us in this room who've been redeemed by Christ the body has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so is Christ for by one spirit we're baptized into one body whether Jew or Greek slave or free We've all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. So as Jesus prays about that we may be one, just as the Father and the Son are. So we are one, we're one body in Christ. And God has given, Christ has given each one of us a gift and an ability. And that gift and ability is to glorify Him, is to build up, ourselves within the body, right? So that we may become mature and not tossed to and from by, from, by various doctrines. And as David talked about today, uh, we, are, we realize we ourselves are sinners, and it, and it changes how we react to other people, how we interact with other people and how we influence other people, how we rebuke other people that we first see the condition of our own hearts that we are one body. And then look at verse 15. If the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ears should say, I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body was an eye, how would you hear? And if everything was hearing, how would you smell? God has set apart the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased and if they were all one member, where would the body be? So we're various, we're one body, separate members, separate functions, separate roles. And so I've said many for the challenge is to know what your gift is, to know what your, what part you are, and to be faithful in being that part. If you're a speaker, speak the oracles of God. If you're a, If you are a helper, help. If you are merciful, you be merciful. If you are hospitable, you be hospitable. If you have, uh, if you are a preacher, preach. If you're a teacher, teach. All these gifts God's given us, you're responsible, responsible, uh, to be faithful to what you've been called to do. And so, uh, we've talked about that. And so, uh, I want to finish this section real, we've talked about it over and over. About unity, I just want to finish with this uh, prayer that the church had for the church at F- Paul had for the church of Ephesus, and it's a prayer of unity, and it's a prayer of uh, oneness, fellow citizenry. Look at Ephesians two, and that would sum up, I think, what Jesus has prayed here: that we may be one. Together the body, just as the Father and the Son are one. He's in us, and we're in Him, and they're in each other. They're mutual indwelling. So I just want to read this real quick. Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. For Christ, He Himself is our peace, who's made both one. He's talking about now the Jew and the Gentile. He's made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enemy, which was a law of commandments contained in ordinances, so it created in himself one new man from the two, from the Jew and the Gentile, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the Christ, putting to death the enmity. And he's came and he's preached peace to you who were afar off, that's the Gentiles, And to those who were near, that's the Jew, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Therefore, we're no longer strangers or foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We've all been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building fits together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in which you are all being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So Jesus prays for the unity, for the oneness. Paul prays for the unity and the oneness in Ephesians and other places. So we see this is fulfilled. We see that this is fulfilled. Jesus' prayers are always answered. And so we see that. And I want to look at this next wonderful section, verse 24. Father, I desire that those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. What do you think about that? Jesus prays for all those the Father has given him. Remember in chapter 6, 38, 39, 40, those verses Jesus says, I've come to do the will of whom who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all you've given me I should lose nothing. So Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given him before the foundation of the world. And he came to die for those people. Those people will be saved. They will be brought into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, those people, those you gave me, that they may be where I am. Glory. You talk about the preservation and the perseverance of the saints. You talk about not being able to lose your salvation. Jesus says, not only will I gather those the Father gave me and will save them and not lose any, but they will be with me in eternity forever. This is a fulfillment of what he had already talked about in John 14 when he said, I am the way, the truth, in the life, no one cometh to me, but through the Father. And He said, as remember when He was talking to the disciples at the beginning of this conversation, He says, "I go to prepare." Verse fourteen two, I go told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, He says, I will come again and receive you to myself. And there I am; you may be also. So, as Jesus predicted, and then he prays for, and then he ultimately will fulfill everything he's prayed for and predicted. So he prays that we will be with him where he is forever. And there are many verses of Scripture that tell us this. What does the last verse of the most famous psalm say? Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the pre- as the Lord forever. You know, Don, no. He's offering that Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what eternal life is. We've talked about this a hundred times. Eternal life is now and in the present, and it's to know Him Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he prays. Verses. We've got 14, 2, and 3, John. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. I, I'm debating about doing either 1st or 2nd Thessalonians or Peter next. And, uh, I suspect we'll just do all of them. But, uh, if you want to have a confidence about what awaits us very soon, uh, 1 Thessalonians is going to be exciting for you. So, uh, may do that one. No commitments, but we'll see. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Great comforting words. God didn't appoint us to wrath. There's no longer any condemnation to us through in Christ Jesus, right? God didn't appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us whether we wake or we sleep. We should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and build each other up enough just as you continue to do. So that's a Fulfillment of the promise, Father, I desire those you gave me may be with me, that they may be together where I am. And we know where He is now, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, right? Uh, Second Peter, just moving along, uh, uh, just going right in your Bibles, Second Peter. Uh, great text on, uh, what we can expect We gotta put this in context. The day of, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervor and heat. We, we sang about that in the amazing grace chorus. But the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up, therefore all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We look for and we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, Elements will melt with fervor and heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, we look for new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Those who are righteous will dwell there. And we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so we will dwell there. Uh, Many, many verses for time's constraints. Let's just turn to the back of the book. Verses you all love and are familiar with. Uh, I could go a bunch of places, but look at 21, 1 through 5 in the Revelation. Now I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are the... Bride, He's the bridegroom, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, "...the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There will be no more pain." The former things have passed away, and Jesus who sat on, He who sat on the throne said, I make all things new. And He said to me, right, for these things are true and faithful. Then you pop over to 22, 3 through 5, and there shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God uh, shall be in it, and in His servants, that's us, shall serve Him. They shall see His face. His name shall be on there. That means we're going to be like Him, right? His name, His attributes, His character, who He is, will be on our foreheads. And there will be no night there. There will be no lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign for a while. Now, forever and forever. So Jesus prays, The Lord, those You've given Me may be with Me where I am. That's our future. It's glorious, right? It's glorious, but it's not just the by and by. It's for the here and now. It's abundant life now, as Sally reemphasizes. We said, right? So Jesus prays for that. This glorious prayer is for us, and it is certain. It is more certain than that I'm standing right here, because I could collapse just like that. But our certainty is based upon Him who He is. That's our hope. His Word is immutable. It cannot be altered or changed. And so we have this full assurance of hope, right? Jesus prayed for us, and that prayer will be answered. Now, he says, uh, Be with me that they may behold my glory. You know, we... The disciples, they saw His glory and that glory was veiled. Remember, He once allowed His glory to be seen. He opened up His humanity as a bit as He, as He, as He revealed Himself to the disciples and it was a perfect white blinding light and then able to even look at it. When we're in glory, His perfect, all of His glory is, uh, of the Godhead is gonna be unveiled, right? And even the, His glory will be the light to replace the Son. And so when we we're going to be able to comprehend His brilliance, we're going to be able to comprehend His holiness. We're going to be able to comprehend Him. And as a matter of fact, what does it tell us in Ephesians? The ages to come, it's going to take eternity for us to grasp who He is and we're still going to be ever learning. Isn't that an amazing thought? So those of you who have this bad myth concept in your head, we're going to be bored in heaven and you've got this mythology that we're going to be on clouds with harps and what the heck are we going to be doing? You got it all wrong. We're going to be learning who our Lord and Savior is and we're going to see His grace, however He does it. If He takes us back and He shows us this, I did this, I did that, I did that, you did this, I did that... However He's going to do it. He's going to show us His glory. His grace. Verse John 3-2, as the teacher told you. That is right. And we'll talk about what it is and what it isn't. That's the best way. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called... Children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. Now are we the children of God. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him like He really is. And everyone who has his hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. She asked the question, what does that mean? We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He really is. What doesn't that mean? It doesn't mean what? We're not ever going to be God. Right? We are going to be what? Be like Him. We'll be fully set, sanctified and we will be glorified. That means we will have a perfect, sinless body fit for heaven. In practice. Very good, Jeff. You get a you get a little. I ought to write that quote on the board. We're going to be able to you know I, I i thought about this many times are are we going to be able like an isaiah had to fall on his face i'm undone i'm unclean how are we going to be able to respond to him in glory it's going to be different right but do, do we don't know the particulars really it's a mystery a darn good question, isn't it? Like-minded, speak. Like-minded people take away. A... And we're working toward that on this earth, right? We shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Our limitations of time and space will be removed. Our limitations of our finite minds, if you'd ask Doc, what percentage of our minds do we use? And it's quite low, what Mind. What percentage of our mind do we get to use on this earth? Very low. When He changes us (laughs) and takes away the limitations, we will have full capacity of our created beings. Right? We will not be oppressed or we will not be suppressed by our sin nature. And we'll have the ability to comprehend and still with full capacity, perfect memory, all these things that we don't have now because of the fall, we're still going to take forever and we're always going to still be coming to the knowledge of Him. That is beyond my ability to explain. But His attributes... His character will be in us. So the love, joy, peace, all the things he's working on us now with his fruit, if she asks this question, we're going to be like him, we're going to have these attributes. And it will be it will be it will be commensurate with our new natures, with our new bodies. We're not going to be incomplete anymore. We're going to have resurrected bodies, able to be in his presence. Our bodies are going to be... We're going to be able to be totally submissive. Whereas now our flesh is not pleasing to God and it can't be, right? But with our new bodies, we're going to be able to be completely submissive and obedient without sin. And we will be able to comprehend Him. And that's uncomprehendable right now, right? So we're going to... So we see that, that they may behold my glory which you've given me, for you love me for the foundation of the world. We've talked about that. There's always been a oneness in the Godhead. It's always existed from eternity past to eternity future. And there's a cohesiveness, an unbounding, agape, unconditional love and acceptance and perfect humility. unity. And that unity that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have always had, we are going to be able to comprehend it and understand it, and we are going to be able to love like that that's family, huh love and then he says, "Oh righteous Father, every time I read that, I quiver, but we the the perfect holiness of the Father, the perfect plan of the Father, no wonder the angels glory and and sing hallelujah that The perfect plan of the Father is completed. The final enemy, death, is destroyed. His eternal plan is fulfilled completely. Man, His creation, is now where He's meant to be always, in union with the Creator. Okay? And it is all finished. And that's unimaginable to me. Unimaginable to me. The world hasn't known you, but I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. One of the, one of the reasons why we're His because we know that He, Jesus, has been sent by the Father, and that He has come to be our wrath appeaser, the propitiator. He has come to be the reconciler. He has come to be the redeemer. He is the only way to the Father. He has brought the words of God to us so we may believe and we apprehend Him and we trust Him. And so Jesus prays, these have known, us current believers, we've known that God has sent His Son, right? And we know that and we believe that and so we are His. And that is a gift of faith that we apprehend that. And He says, I have declared to them Your name and I will declare it. What does that mean? I have declared to them your name, and I will, and that word is present tense, and it's I will continue to declare it. What does that mean? He's declared to us His name. We've believed. He's given us faith. We've believed. We've trusted. He has declared His name. His name is all He is, and I will declare it. That means we're going to continually progress in knowing who He is, what He's about, We continue to be shaped by Him, conformed to Him, reminds renewed. And that's what it means, and I'm going to continue to declare it. That ultimately it will be perfected in what? Four-letter word. Love. Because love is perfect completion of it all, right? And that is how it's going to end, my friends. The love with which you love me will, may be in them and I in them. We are getting little glimpses in this class and in this church of what this means. And they're very glorious glimpses. But they are just little bitty edgy glimpses. We're seeing through a veil darkly, right? But then face to face, all right? We see darkly. We see bits and pieces of His glory. But when we are with Him, we're going to see it all. Magnified, perfectly clear. And we're going to see the intention of why He created us. To be in union with Him. union with the Godhead. In union with one another in perfect love. Now we are imperfect in our love. We're still growing in it. We're still working through selfishness. We're still working through, uh, uh, not recording wrongs. We're still working through patience and kindness and, and behaving rudely toward another and bearing one another and enduring one another. But that's all part of this process, right? And ultimately it will be fulfilled. Glorified, perfect love. You no. Know, it's amazing. Pathetic job of explaining this. My job, my worry is always when I do this is, how else can you explain it? I pray the Holy Spirit will take this word and He'll explain it to you better. Uh, cause this is unexplainable without the Spirit. Uh, now I want to go to, if I can, and I'm, this is not a, a bummer, this is not negative, but all this is possible because what we're fixing to read here. Now if you'll turn to, uh, <coughs> if you'll turn to, uh, John 18. We're gonna. There's three parts to this, and uh, good luck with finishing this part. But we're gonna divide it into the arrest of Jesus in first one through 18. We're gonna look at the first trial before Annas, uh, the Hebrew uh, judge. We're gonna talk about that, and then we're gonna look at his uh, at his uh, trial before uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman leader. Then we're going to be talking about some different things, the sayings of Jesus on the cross, some different things as we as we look at this. But let me read this. Uh, uh, this is immediately after Jesus's prayer. Uh, uh, there's an immediacy to this. Timing is impeccable. The, it's fresh on their minds what Jesus has just prayed for His disciples and for uh, the means which He brings to other believers is for, through their word and through their foundation, which we've talked about. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which He and His disciples entered in Judas, who betrayed them, knew the place. For Jesus often met there with His disciples And Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground." Then he asked them again, saying, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the same might be fulfilled. Which he spoke back in chapter 17, verse 12, of whom you gave me, I have lost none. When Simon Peter drew the sword, he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, "...put your sword into its sheath, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me?" Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, bound him and led him to Annas first, where for he was a father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, and that was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man that he should die." And we'll go back to that in John 11. And son Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple. Now, the disciple was known to the priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You also... You are not also one of this this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I'm not. Now, the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there. It was cold, and they warned themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. So we see immediately after this great prayer that those who are coming to arrest Jesus come, and we see, first of all, we see Judas Iscariot's betrayal. And we know that that betrayal, we've talked about this, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, that it was predictive and it was prophesied. We saw that in in Psalm 41.9. We saw it in Psalm 109.8. Jesus Himself uh, told the disciples because he wanted them to know that he was God he told them that there would be one that would betray him and that was at the lord's table when they sat down and reclined at the table jesus said one of you is going to betray me so jesus i mean judas is the is the one who betrayed jesus and so we see this judas uh betraying Jesus. And he's the one that Jesus prayed about in John seventeen. I've not lost one except the son of perdition, that the scripture may be fulfilled. So that's his is Judas Iscariot, as he betrays Jesus. He comes in. Now and they're in the garden. Uh if you know anything about Jerusalem, I've never been there, but I've read about it and some of you who've been there. Uh have any of you been to Jerusalem in here? Have y'all been to Jerusalem? Uh, Mount of Olives is a uh, is a, to the east of Jerusalem, and you cross the Brook Kidron. That word Brook means uh, intermittent stream. Sometimes it's dried up, and sometimes it runs full. So it's just a brook, not considered a stream. So this one was obviously at the time crossable. So they cross over Gidron, uh, the Brook Gidron, and there on the Mount of Olives, which is where the olive trees are and grow and still are, been there for two thousand years. And so, within the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem, is this garden called Gethsemane. The Gethsemane is where the disciples often met. uh, met. Uh, It says they entered in, so it's uh, pretty implied that it was an enclosed space uh probably vines probably uh a uh, uh, basically probably a vegetative uh uh a garden spot where you had to go in through an entrance and it was very quiet and secluded and so this is where they met so they come into Gethsemane the word Gethsemane means oil pressed so it's because it's in the uh in the Mount Olives uh it's within that so this is where they go And so they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happens in the Garden of Gethsemane that is not recorded in the book of John? What does Jesus do? He prays. He says, you guys sit here a while and watch and pray. So he goes three times. And he prays, if it's your will, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but what your will be done. He comes back, and every time he comes back, what are the disciples doing? What lesson do we learn from sleeping on the job? What did he say? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation, right? So it's a lesson for us. We're to pray and to keep from falling into temptation and being uh, aware of our propensities, how's that for a fancy word? Uh, know you know who you are and what you're able to do, and you got to be in prayer. Right? So they weren't. They come back. They're asleep. He prays three times, and so that goes on in the garden. So not included in John's version. I think what's uh, important in verse four: <coughs> the emphasis, the detachment of troops. Uh, the attachment of troops, uh, this is the Roman detachment of troops, between two and six hundred troops came. Why did Judas bring so many along with the other religious leaders? What were they expecting? Trouble, right? A fight, a battle. And so they bring two to six hundred troops, Judas Iscariot and some of the other synoptic gospels, the man I kiss is the one who is Jesus Christ. And so he goes up and kisses him on the cheek. And one of the other Gospels, Jesus says, do you kiss the Son of God? You betray the Son of God with a kiss. And uh, we could go on and on about that. But uh, uh, uh So we see Judas bringing his group of men with him to betray him. Uh, and they're there. In verse 4, I-, I love this. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him... Okay, so we that ver that's simple, he knew all things that would come upon him. That is all knowledge, knowing all things, and what's a fancy word we give for that? Omniscient. Omniscient. He knows all things. There are times in the scripture where Jesus was ignorant of facts, but times when he knew all things. In this case, he knew all things because the book of John, one of the primary reasons it was written for why. Why? We may believe that He's God, right? So the deity of Christ is emphasized over and over again. It is not mentioned in the other Gospels that He said that. But it says in John 4, "...because we are emphasizing His deity that you may believe," He said, "...knowing all things that would come upon Him." So emphasizes His deity, and that He is in control. This is His hour, this is why He came, this is the hour of darkness, and He sets the time, and it's in His hand, and He knew the time and the place, and He said, I know all things, and this is it, right? So He knew all things, nothing surprised Him. He voluntarily did this, folks. He voluntarily died for us. He came to do it, and He did it. And so we see that. It's very interesting. Jesus said, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when we said three times he says this, he says, I am. The he is added in the English, but it is not in the original. So three times he says, I am. He's already said it seven times in the book of John, right? Right? And for your recollective improvement, I am bread, I am light, I am in order, in order. What's, what, that's six, that's, I am the bread is six thirty five, I am light is eight twelve. What is the third one? John eleven, I am the Resurrection and the life. There's a well-trained son right there. What's the fourth one? Eleven is not four. My mind is faulty. One day, it won't be. I am the door is John 10. I am the good shepherd John 10, I am the resurrection and the life, is John 11. John 14 is I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 15, the seventh one, completeness, who He is in summation, I am the what? John 15, plant, vine, I am the vine, the true vine. So seven times He said, I am. He ends this with... Who are you seeking? He says, I am. Claiming to be God. All these liberals that say, he never—yes, Yes, 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 yes. He is God. He claimed to be God. Over and over and over again. I am the self-existent. I am the God that Moses saw at the burning bush. I am, right? And what was the... He said it three times. Anybody want to guess on that one? Uh... Speculative maybe, not... In, not, I said it three times for this. Can you guess why three times? Trinity. I am. So we see that. The effect of when he said I am, what was the effect? These are godless people who want to kill him. Whoa! Vertigo. They did that. Yeah, I did that on purpose. As a visual aid, that's scary. You know, twenty seven Quote it, sister. Yes, it is it's, it's, uh, uh, well, it. It. Psalm twenty seven. Psalm 27:2. When the wicked came up against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes they stumbled and fell. Pretty cool. You don't think this is the Word of God? It is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who's He talking about? Yes. Literally, I know this is a, just just to give you a, a, and this is off the track and forgive me. I was just reading this this morning uh, about the Jews and uh, uh, Isaiah three twenty four. The last verse and branding instead of beauty, when he's talking about the consequences of the Jew branding, they were branded. They had their numbers tattooed on. I mean, just literal. I know it's chasing rabbit, but complete accuracy of scripture because of the consequences of the nation, they were branded, and we see they were branded at the hall. That's a that's a little tidbit there. It's just Jesus said, "I am." Uh, and so we see that. Now, I want to look at this, uh, the cutting off of Malchus's ear. Uh, uh, there's a purpose in this, and, uh, why did Jesus say twice, Whom are you seeking? What was Jesus doing when he said that, and what was his purpose in saying that? Whom are you seeking? Why do you think he said that twice? He wanted to make sure his disciples were protected. You're coming after me. You have no authority or no right to come after my disciples. I'm the one you're looking for. So bravery, he takes responsibility and account, and he is not cowardly. He acknowledges who he is, and he's commanding them subtly I'm Jesus. This is the one you're coming after, and we know that because he first says he says, I told you I am. If you seek me, let them go their way, so that the scripture is fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill every dotting of the eye and every crossing of the T. So he protected his disciples. He said, I am he, whom are you seeking? So they would know you're not coming after my kids. Okay? Amazing. It is amazing. And so we see this. Peter, verse 10, had a sword. He drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus says, put the sword back. Shall I not drink the cup? The significance of the cutting off of the ear. In the other synoptics, I think Luke it was, he healed his ear immediately. Uh, why did Jesus chide Peter for doing this. Four reasons I have here. There's probably a bunch more. We see in this text, shall I not drink the cup for which my Father has given me? Jesus wanted to know that I came to fulfill the plan of the Father and I'm going to drink the cup and nothing is going to prevent me from doing what I came to do. Right? So, one reason He chided Peter, He said, I'm gonna drink this cup, I'm gonna drain it, and I'm gonna drink it for the, for for the sins of my people. And I'm gonna die on their behalf, and I'm gonna impute their, my righteousness to them. I'm gonna fulfill why I came, why I came. So that's one reason what Peter tried to do was wrong, because in Peter's mind, and reason number two is man's effort. It was man's effort. Jesus came to Fulfill the plan of his father, eternal plan, he came to do it. And then the second thing is that was Peter's way of solving the problem. It was his efforts, it's man's effort to accomplish God's purposes, and they never work, right? I don't think he was for his ear. No, he wasn't. He was for his neck. He's wanting to kill him. Yes, wanting I mean. to kill him. And I believe that to be true. Sure, he was. Because he was going to be facing serious consequences later, which would have a much more uh, substantial uh part of his ministry. Absolutely. 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 Thirdly, Jesus could have called the legions of angels. You remember that song? He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone. Everybody remember that song? We should sing it more often. Yes, sir. Don, when you said he... veterans. Who by penalty of their life, if they don't accomplish what they're sent to do.
1: Good.
0: Excellent. He is God, isn't he? And so the last thing I think we see that Jesus could have called 10, 000, uh, 12 legions of angels. Legion is 6,000, is Roman legions. So if you want to say that, literally 72,000 angels, that doesn't mean he doesn't have just 72,000 angels. But uh, if you want to really get into that, but the main thing I think is point four. Peter's way was vigilantism. And uh, and it and it, and it really went against the law. The law says if you shed man's blood by man, shall your blood be shed. So Peter was trying it his way to kill this guy. As Sally said, his intention was to kill the guy. As Val said, the guy was skilled, and so he missed it. Uh, J- uh, Peter wanted to kill the guy's vigilantism, and that's not God's way. The anger of man don't work the righteousness of God. So Peter's way, our way, work's way is not God's way okay so we see that i think another lesson that was vigilantism and that's not why why god jesus came uh and so we see that and then uh uh i think the last thing we'll see this first trial uh thing about the first trial is that, uh, and we'll get into the illegalism of all this, but uh, uh, it was illegal to be tried at night. It was illegal not to have representation. It was illegal to not be able to uh, defend yourself and all these things. Annas, the guy they come to first, it's now about 27 A.D. Annas was, has not been the high priest for 12 years. He was disposed by the Romans in 15 A.D., and he's just around because of pride. And matter of fact, he was the high priest, and we know that is because the attitude of those that came to get him, verse 22, uh, they said, uh, uh, verse 22, we haven't got there yet, but the, the answer of the officers, do you speak evil of the high priest like that? He wasn't the high priest, but they thought he was because they revered him. So Annas brings them up to him first, not because of he who had the authority to do it, because of his pride. As a matter of fact, he's had five sons and a son-in-law who have been high priest after him in the last 15 years. So he's not the real high priest. So that's illegal. It's like being a judge before a court, and you're uh, and you're no longer uh, a judge. So he's not the high priest, but he's brought to him, and so that's what we know about Annas. He usurps his privilege because of pride, and then he's brought before Caiaphas. And we'll finish up with Caiaphas last week because Jesus, uh, Caiaphas had already prophesied in John 11 that somebody had to die for the people, and uh, this was fulfilled. And we'll talk about that as we end it next time. And then we'll go into the trials, we'll go talk about Pilate, and then we'll talk about the crucifixion. Uh, thank you for your, uh, participation. Any comments or questions? And, uh, He's God. He's our, He's our Savior. Trust Him. Reflect His glory in all that you do. Jeff, would you close us in prayer?